0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Candid Community Leadership Podcast. We want to use this podcast to be real with you. We want to be transparent with you. We want to be transparent with our guests, and we want to inspire you as a community leader, a business leader, or a leader wherever you might have influence. I'm your host, Nick Glue, and during the day, I lead Marion Economic Development Corporation. I'm an economic developer by profession. But any other time, I'm just like you, working hard to be a better leader in my community, uh, in my business, and in my home. Leadership matters, and that's why, as an economic development organization, we believe in the importance of these conversations. Uh, Here in our community, in Marion, Iowa, our brand promises that we are the best place in Iowa to raise a family and grow a business. In order to do this, quite simply, we need great leaders at all levels, in our community, in our businesses, and in our homes. Well, today we welcome a good friend of mine. She is Iowa Senator Liz Mathis. Uh, Senator Mathis was first elected to the Iowa Senate in 2011. And uh, hey, while it's election season, Liz is running unopposed this November. So yay, I don't have to worry about inviting your opponent on. (laughs) Uh, Many of you probably know Liz from her 22 years as a journalist here in eastern Iowa. And this is where I first met Liz. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. Um, She has received much recognition for her work in women's leadership, uh, literally recognized as a woman of influence, uh, as most influential by the Corridor Business Journal. Uh, She was also named to the Governing Institute's Women of Government Leadership class in 2019. Um, Liz also works as a part-time project coordinator for Four Oaks, and she and her husband, Mark, uh, own a family business on the side. So it's not like you have anything going on, right, Senator Mathis? <laughs> no, no
1: worries. No pay, making payroll. No, no worries. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's a crazy it, it's a crazy life sometimes, but we wouldn't want it any other way.
0: You can research and find several variations to this quote, the only constant in life uh, is change. Uh, I think back to, I think it was March 12th of this year, the year 2020, Uh, It was our community's legislative trip to Des Moines. You'll probably remember that. Uh, It was also the day where the Capitol was starting to become a ghost town, and we were beginning to react for the first time to this wonderful little thing we call COVID-19. We participated in what I think ended up being the last subcommittee or committee meeting of the entire session, to be honest. Um, Six months later, as I think about this question that I'm going to ask, I can't even tell you why we were there, what what the topic of that subcommittee meeting was, um, because our world has changed. Uh, Not only are we navigating that global pandemic, um, we have some interesting social issues that we're navigating. We're deep in an election year, and to top it all off, in August, we endured uh, a new word in my vocabulary, uh, the derecho. And for those of you who might be listening and don't know what that word means, um, it's essentially an inland hurricane, a Category 4 hurricane. Uh, that just devastated our community. Liz, um, you're a leader in our state legislature. You're a leader through your job in the nonprofit world. Um, you're a leader in many ways. I, I'd like to hear you reflect for a moment on just all of these changes that have happened here in 2020 through the lens of the the unique roles that uh, that you have, and and really how this how this year has impacted you.
1: Well, you know. Um... They say you never learn anything by talking; it's always by listening. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's another quote, and on top of another, Pericles said, uh, "I am the wisest of all men because I know how little I know." You know, so those two those two phrases together, I think uh, we have discovered a lot about each other. You know, as a community, uh, just overall, I think we've. <laughs> We've really learned about the human condition, uh, how brave people can be, how fragile they can be, uh, how resilient and how flawed, you know. And when we first started out with, um, with COVID, Back then, you know the, the the meeting that you're talking about. I looked up on my calendar. It says Marion visits the state capitol. and then <laughs> I'm thinking, boy, that really blew up, didn't it? After shortly after that, what did you guys do? What did you say to chase us out of that legislative, uh, you know, chamber? But um, but I think so much has changed since March first, COVID, and uh, just reacting to that, uh, both personally and professionally. So, so professionally as a legislator, oh my goodness, you know, we just had so many people who had questions, they had issues, uh, really worried about their jobs and uh, worried about their families and just you know, the overall rate of infection. And then uh, personally, you know, as you mentioned, my husband and I have a, have a business, it's a family business, uh, Mark has two other business partners and, um, and we were very worried about making sure that everybody was going to be employed. And it was a scary time for us, for our business. So I'm very empathetic to other people, other business owners yeah. and other people who work for small businesses. You know, just, um, you know, how you can have everything one day and two or three weeks later, it doesn't look so good. It looks like maybe you're going to close the doors. Thankfully, we got through that we were able to get a loan. Uh, Mark really was aggressive with some of, you know, our our clients and the client list. And Mm -hmm. he did what good business people do. And you look for a transition, you look for the types of things that you can actually offer people during a time of crisis. And so that was on the personal side. On the professional side, same thing. You look to try to figure out how you can be helpful during a time of crisis. So those were kind of paralleled uh, worlds that we were running in. He was in another part of the house. I was here in the home office. And, um, you know, I could hear him on calls and he could hear me and um, sometimes yelling at people, sometimes not, you know. Um, So it, it was a very, and it still is, just a very different time. Sometimes we feel like we're in limbo. Yeah. Um, you know, which direction are we going to go? Are we going to take this or are we going to do this? I, I think Liz Lenz asked me, she's a columnist from the Gazette. She, you know, just asked me about uh, different things around, um, you know, the derecho cleanup. And uh, she was, she was uh, uh, just kind of questioning me and questioning me about something. And I said, Liz, you know, I, I choose to look through the front windshield instead of the rear view mirror and that, I think that's the essence of it. When something is upon you, are you going to belabor why it happened and how it happened? You could, in order to make changes moving forward. I think we all have to look back and say, how could we have done this differently? All right, well, let's put policies and plans in place and let's not let this happen to us again. You know, you can't control the weather, but how can you react to when the weather affects you? Uh, you can't control a germ or a virus. Right. But how can you react to when that happens? And I think all of us have learned in different ways from the duration and from COVID, how we're going to move forward from here. And it's been fascinating watching people do that, um, schools, how they're reacting to it. I couldn't be prouder of our administrators. Wow. They've reacted. But you also have to put resources behind it. And then that's where I come in as a legislator. How can I? I'm understanding what you're what you're trying to do, and then how can I get resources to you to uplift that idea and make sure that you're being successful in educating our children, or as a hospital administrator, how you are being successful serving the public um, and and their health and well-being. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm I'm a helper, I'm a supporter, and a listener first and foremost.
0: Leadership, no doubt, in a year like 2020 is, is difficult. And a couple of seconds ago, you, you referenced our school administrators and you said, wow. And, and I 100% agree. And, and we talked a little bit about this offline, how difficult it is in a year like this to be in any type of leadership position. I think whether you're a, a, a leadership, in a, in a, a leader in a small business, whether you're an elected leader at any level of government, it, it's a very difficult year. When you said, wow... Um i thought i I agree with you a hundred percent, and I've thought about sometimes that um you have to realize that these people um are all humans, right, and I believe that all of the leaders that we have in this community want nothing but the best for all of the people they are leading and the constituents that that they serve and i think I think we need to pause uh from time to time and just say thank you say job well done um, acknowledge that they're not going to make everyone happy, but um, recognize that that sometimes if you think the decisions that I'm making in this office are difficult, think about some of these big community leaders um, and really, I think just the burden and the weight of some of the decisions that they have they've had to had to make um, i I've tried to on on several occasions just really point out and thank them. Um, thank people like you, uh, for, for your leadership because, um, be, because it matters and we, we need, we need strong leaders, um, not just through crisis, but if, and when things settle down, we just need to make sure we always have the best and the brightest and good leadership roles. And I think we do. So sorry for my tangent there, but
1: <laughs> I, you know, I have to tell you that, um, uh, your Marion Mayor and your City Manager, and also Jill Ack- Ackerman. You know your your uh, yeah. cohort in crime there in the office. <laughs> um, amazing people. And look at how Jill just kind of picked up. Yeah. You know, we, I, I was kidding with her about. It. I said, Jill, you are so organized. How is this happening with the school pantry? You know, and how you know you're just. She just like launched. She yeah. said, "It's my background in Target.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> logistics,
1: uh, planning." you know, yep. being able to uh, categorize things. And so that part of, you know, old skill sets, those skill sets, you you don't realize you're using them every day. And she really kicked them into overdrive. Then um, I, I met, um, as we call him, Mayor Nick. He's just a, a tremendous individual. And, and, and Nick and Jill and I were talking about how many people were accessing the food pantry. And Nick turned to me, and I just thought this was a very vulnerable moment. He said, you know, and he's a great leader. And he said, "I had no idea we had so many people in need in our community." And it was that—I think it was that revelation. It's made him look differently at the city, and it'll make him a better mayor. And uh, I just thought, "Wow, to be able to see that—that's an amazing thing." Amazing.
0: Absolutely. So, um, change—we've probably used that already in this podcast to describe 2020, but. You know, unfortunately, I think uh, in many ways, uh, we've, we've seen divisiveness, you know, in different corners of our, of our, not just our community, but our, but our world. So, you know, there's, there's good words, but there's plenty of bad words that, that or negative words that, that really describe the year. How do we look at 2020? Can we yet see the silver linings? Can we, can we see those glimmers of hope, um, that hopefully in a year, in two years, as we look back at 2020, we'll be able to say that that made us better people in, in this way. Or, you know, this, this, these are the positive things that we uh, saw from maybe not just in business, but just in humanity in, in general. You, you were maybe touching on those already uh, as, as you talked about the prior question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was an article I read about a month ago on resiliency. The New York times had it and it was, you know, we see a lot of those, a lot of topics out there, you know, that center around resiliency, but it said, what are the characteristics of uh, the ability? What abilities do you have to get you through tough times? And they really hearken to what happened to you before. It's kind of like trauma informed care. You know that social workers and mental health providers ask some of their kids. They say not what's wrong with you. They say what happened to you, and it's what happened to you is that builds resiliency. Sometimes in how you maybe um, you know a therapist will work with the child for mental health and say you know all right you, I, I'm at, I'm helping you acknowledge what happened to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now how do you take that and move forward? How do you not let that define you, but you let that be a fulcrum for, you know, for where you're going? And I think there are things along the way. So the floods of 2008, oh my gosh, we were, you know, our our personal business, again, we had 11 feet of water in our office in downtown Cedar Rapids, and it was uh, a test of our resiliency. Uh, how do we come out of this? Uh, you know, it was a, a, a great financial loss for us because the flood took away files and all that kind of stuff. So uh, and then so that was personally, professionally, I was working for Four Oaks at the time and tons of houses and families on, you know, across the river uh, in, in uh, rampot were, you know, just really it was destroyed. And uh, working on a housing project there called Block by Block with Matthew 25 amazing. So so when you look at some of these things that have befallen you in your professional and personal life, and it's like you are understanding how you got through that, and then you apply that to, unfortunately, the next disaster or the next crisis, and how you work through that. So you learn by each um, uh, uh, thing that has happened to you, whether it's tragedy or whether it's victory. You also learn from that and apply that to the next thing. And unfortunately, we've had a couple of disasters that have really tested our resiliency. But you could see in Marion, oh my gosh, look at all the people that came out to help each other. And there was, you know, there's there a derecho page and then on Marion Happenings on Facebook. I mean, I, I read that every day. I learned more About how people with churches were working together, how neighbors were pulling together, how government can be, you know, a partner in all of that and how people need to turn to government at times for help. And a lot of people have never had to do that. So I think, you know, in answer to your question, of course, here I go. You know, Mark always says, come in for a landing, Liz, you know, (laughs) bring it down to the tarmac right here, right here. So I, I think um, looking at this, resiliency has been key. And the glimmer of hope that we have, even though there are people right now who are, they're pretty dark days, still really dark days. They don't have a job or their business is, has gone under or is going under. Some of our restaurants, I just feel for them. They've put investments in, lifelong investments into their restaurants and it's just sinking. And so it's still pretty raw for them. But the glimmer of hope is that we've seen that uh, people say we need to move on. We need to look through the windshield and not in the rearview mirror. We need to pick up where we are and try to make something of this clay mold that we have and how we sculpt this in, in, into something new. Um, we are learning more business practices. Sometimes it's uh, okay, I can work with a crew that's a little bit smaller. That's not, that doesn't bode well for the employees who maybe worked there before. But it also forces us to look at what is surviving in the 21st century? What businesses are outperforming others right now? Um, are, are they directly related to COVID? Is it directly related to derecho? And that will be, I think, a storm will pass, but another storm might come and a germ will pass, but another germ's right behind it. So how do we transition into that new world where we're adaptive to disasters and we're adaptive to medical pandemics? And that's where we are right now, where we've got those thinkers, you know, out there learning how to transition, and those those are the people that are going to lead us into the next spot. So, um, in government, for instance. Um, I've been talking with Kelly Garcia from the Department of Human Services about, it's called Social Determinants of Health, and it's a systemic look at how we can help kids from not getting into the social services uh, chain, So, so that a kid doesn't become DHS affected. We want to keep them out of that. We want to do preventative measures, and so how do we do that in the age of COVID? How do we deliver mental health services in the age of COVID? Well, telehealth, all right? So telehealth is, this is just one example. Telehealth in the age of COVID has been massively successful, but it's successful not only because, you know, the therapist can come to you wherever you are. You don't have to make an appointment to drive somewhere and be there at a certain time. They can come to you on your telephone. You know, they can come to you in the palm of your hand. Um, and, and that's a good thing. But it's also been good because the providers have been paid for what that's worth. Now, when you take, you know, we have to work on if you take that reimbursement away or if you change a piece of that, we need to make sure that it doesn't upset the apple cart and then telehealth goes away because of some flaw, something that we did that doesn't make it work. So we have to concentrate on the things that are working right now. What are the factors that are making these things work and capitalize on that, no matter if it's DHS and telehealth or if it's business and business practices? Is it, um, you know, like Mark, um, he had a staff meeting once every other week, you know, and he's been in business for 25 years. But during, during COVID, he had a staff meeting every morning. And it's eight 30 every morning. And all of a sudden, you know, you could see the staff seeing some encouragement and they could see a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's, it's maybe shifting some of those practices and protocols that you have in business that are right there. They're right there. And you know that you could utilize them, but because of some, some other shiny object over there, you know, you've been distracted and, it, and you haven't gone back to some of those basic principles that make your business work. Mm-hmm. So, transition silver lining that's what it will be i think a a deep dark self-analysis of business and your professional life and we're going to get through this we will get through this but we still have some dark days ahead we're going into the fall uh they they're predicting covid will spread um but we have to figure out how we're going to tamp it down how we're going to protect each other during this time
0: talked about mark and just uh you know the way it seemed like he discovered that people just they needed to be led and inspired in different ways because we were we were in a different condition so people were dispersed they weren't working together as a team anymore you know how do you how do you continue to keep people connected as a team you know when when the world changes and i i, I had the same thing um, part of me was was excited that oh great we don't have to be in the office anymore i i tend to probably thrive when i can just focus in my in my own little world and and do the things that nick needs to do but you need a team to accomplish you know the things that that we accomplish and i went through that same process it's like we we went through this phase of feeling more and more disconnected we we engaged in zoom and then we hated zoom and you know had, boy there's there is a lot of intentionality that business leaders that just leaders in general have had to uh, endure and pivot to really kind of settle into what what almost feels like a new norm. You know, it almost feels like you know at first it was well there'll be this end in this month or the the stats will drop off in this month. And now I think I think everyone has has adapted and I think everyone has almost come to the point of saying, well, Liz, you and I are talking over Zoom right now, and while that. While that seemed artificial when we first started doing it, the more you do it, the more authentic it it feels. It's 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 this new norm, right?
1: Well, there's also a piece to that, though. I miss that human interaction, that face to face. And that you know, I told Mark, I said, I need pet therapy. Maybe I need to buy a dog so I can just hug the dog, you know, all the time because I can't hug other people. I'm a hugger. I'm a hugger. And so those kinds of things where When you see friends you haven't seen for a while, we we went to visit a a couple of dear friends of ours and we thought, is this safe? You know, everybody wore masks. We were outside eating, you know, our dinner and everything, but it was so uplifting. Our conversations were deeper, you know, our appreciation. I said, I don't think I've ever looked at your house this way. You know, it was like a new discovery. And I think we're, we're, we're learning to appreciate more when we finally see each other in person. And so, It's not one or the other, but it's a mixture of both, right? The new technology that you're talking about and then being able to actually see people. I think we can, that might be the silver lining. We can come to a conclusion that, you know, we can do both.
0: Yeah. So you were born and raised uh, in Iowa, spent your entire professional career working in the state. Hey, as you think about your leadership style today, and maybe areas that you've really had to dig deep this year to contemplate next steps, contemplate next directions, right directions. Where where do you attribute or who do you attribute uh, your own leadership style to?
1: My parents. <laughs> I know that's probably sounds like, you know, uh, hello, mom. You know, I give a, <laughs> this award goes to my mother, you know, but it's, um, it's actually my parents. When I think back, you know, we were always the last ones to be standing on the church steps, right? My dad and mom just loved to talk with people. And my dad was a good listener, you know, and he was kind of the farm, you know, he was a farmer. And we had an 800 acre farm. At the time, that was pretty big. But he also in the army was a mechanic. So we had a lot of people at our house bringing broken combines over and parts and all that kind of stuff. So he had this gift of gab. He also sold seed corn on the side. So I would get in the cab of the truck with him and drive all over the countryside, all over Clinton County and sell seed corn or deliver seed corn or do whatever, you know. And my mom also, she was a, a teacher in a one room schoolhouse. And she then she be, went through the nurses cadet corps uh, program for at, for World War II, became a nurse and then eventually worked in the town doctor's office. So she delivered babies and she took chickens in to pay for you know bills and stuff like that. So the two of them, between the two of them, they were pretty dynamic. And I watched them like take hold of the chairmanships of the church chicken fry. And Uh, my dad you know taking leadership positions on the county conservation board and on the school board and my mom taking leadership positions in the church and all that kind of stuff and so I mean I I they were were pretty much the two people who um who we would get in the car sometimes and go visiting I mean who does that now you know we we drive, drive around our farming community and my dad might see somebody out, you know, he'd go, Oh, let's, you know, we, we pull into their driveway and we, you know, have a visit with somebody, you know, just random. And that's who they were. And, uh, they were well liked in our community and just really, really showed he, I think both of them showed such empathy for people, but also leadership at the same time and putting that empathy into practice Uh, in the roles that they played in the leadership roles they played in our community. And then I think um, another really good person was Grant Price, as you know, Nick. (laughs) Grant Price was a news director at Channel 7. Oh my gosh, he was just the best. And um, you could really mess up on a story, uh, but he I would hear him on the telephone talking to people, viewers who were complaining about such and such, or a story, or uh, Liz Mathis's hair color, whatever it might be. <laughs> and he was loyal to a fault. I mean, just true, true blue. And uh, to see that in a management practice uh, was was uh, uh, very good for me. He just, you know, put things in perspective all the time. Just very influential. And then I think Jim Ernst who, uh, you know, worked, he was the CEO with at Four Oaks, and he was, uh, and he's retired now, and he lives in Minnesota, but just a, a tremendous guy, um, shot from the hip sometimes, but brilliant, uh, was a math major in college, and then took a, a sweetness on a social worker a major at Warburg College, and then he decided to take a few social work classes, and there he was. So he was a math major, as, graduated as a social worker. So you can understand that kind of a mind. He was really good with budgetary issues, but he was very good uh, as a leader and uh, and had the empathy to be a, a really good manager, really good manager. So I, I, as I got older and I was looking for those kinds of things to emulate, Uh, He was definitely part of that. And then Anne Greenwald, the current CEO and president. Uh, Amazing mind. I've watched how she, uh, her organizational skills and her governance skills. So as I got older, I was looking for that kind of thing. And, um, And I love working for her and with her.
0: So let's go back. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this because it seems like five years ago. Uh, let's go back 20 years ago. So we're gonna we're gonna tell a story about me. Um, so I think it I think it was either 2000 or 2001. Um, I was a college sophomore at the University of Northern Iowa, and I was trying to get an internship for the summer. I was majoring in electronic media. For those of you that don't know that electronic media journalism, it's basically that pathway to you know, be, becoming a news reporter, right? That's that's what I wanted to do. Um, you were a news anchor at Channel Nine uh, in Cedar Rapids at the time, and you also were in charge of the internship program uh, for the station. Um, I will never forget the day I was living in, uh, I was living in a house with um, four other guys, and um, this is back in the day that we had answering machines, right, and landline phones. And I'll never forget the day we came home and there was a there was a a message uh from Liz Mathis at Channel Nine saying, Nick, I want to talk to you about hiring you to be an intern at our station I'll also never forget the day that we lost power and that message was deleted and I think <laughs> all of the guys in the room were just Liz Mathis's voice is gone forever from from our answering machine. Uh, some people listening to this might not even know what an answering machine was, but um, oh, I guess so long, so lo- <laughs> long, long, story short, uh, I I did a couple of internships. You know, you were pivotal in investing in. Uh, into not just that program, but to people like myself, and, um, you know, led to full-time employment for me uh, very quickly, and kind of the rest is history as far as my, my professional journey, but, you know, you leading that program, um, there probably weren't a lot of people in that newsroom that would embrace an internship program the, the way that you did. Now you know obviously you, you had also been a teacher uh, at, at Wartburg helping to you know helping with that program. So um, you'd spent quite a bit of time investing in kind of that next generation of talent. And we, we talk a lot, a lot about that through different programs that, that we have here in our economic development group through Community Promise. But it's just such such an important thing. Um, how can we influence? Uh, and equip that next generation of leaders, that next generation of workforce. And you've done it for many years. That was just one uh, fun story, a uh, personal story to me. But why, why is that continue to be such an important part to the way that Liz Mathis leads?
1: Because we've all been there. I mean, we've all been there, right? right. So here yep. you are in college, and you're thinking the dream of dreams would beat to- it get a job at a TV station. That's what you wanted to do. That's what you wanted to be. And so did I, when I was that age. And, um, and so I, I got that again, there's that empathy that you have for somebody who's, you know, they're trying to succeed in this world. And, and quite frankly, we needed to build the bench. We needed to, um, to recruit and train really good people to be good journalists we need that in society and so that was that was a, uh, certainly a primary thing but what i found was we were also hiring interns and we weren't paying them so i didn't like that i thought that interns should be paid they're valuable they're a valuable part to the tv station so i convinced the general manager you know what we got to reignite We'd never had an internship program before. And Channel 7, I had come from Channel 7, they had a McElroy Trust internship where interns were paid, and it really it really worked. And people went on to either be re- hired there or to be hired in other jobs all across the United States. And that and that was terrific. And that was really, again, back to Grant Price. So then working at Wartburg and working with students and seeing how that all, uh, you know, can really um, grow journalism and how it can really grow a person. So I went to the general manager, said, we need to get some money in it. And thank goodness he said, okay, we'll pay, we'll pay him. And that was, I, I, and, and our insurance company was happy too, because, you know, you really have to have somebody paid in order to, if they break something, you right. know, or dent a yeah. car, you know, that's yeah. helpful too. But yeah. we really wanted people to, uh, to, be paid for their value to that TV station. We, about, we trained about 150 people in the time that I started it. And then by the time I left, I had about 150 interns who had gone through that. And I still hear from the majority of them, you know, that'll say, oh, I do remember when it's XYZ. I you know, there are p- people who I work with at the legislature, Carrie, uh, Carrie uh, Scott, Carrie Wright Scott was a a student of mine at Warburg and then she wasn't an intern, but she got an internship somewhere else. Um, There's a a marketing director at Verizon who she's risen to the top as a, as a VP. She was uh, you know, uh, an intern. I mean, lots, lots of other people. still contact me about, you know, going through that, but, but the vision was building the bench Growing good people in journalism, but also giving students a try. Right. Because sometimes an internship will help you decide, can I cut this or not? Is this what I romanticized about when I was, you know, taking these classes? Is this what it's really about? Yes, this is what it's really about. And if you can't cut it or you don't like it, or this is not the environment that you thought, then you still have time to make a decision to go to something else and do something else. So I, you know, it's all that wrapped into one. And I, Oh, those were great times. Sometimes yes. the interns, I tell you what, they tested my patients <laughs> you know? and other times you could, you know, it was like uh, cream that rises to the top and you were one of them. <laughs> there are people that are self-motivated. They're resourceful. They get the big picture. And right away, you could see that happen. Mm-hmm. You'd give everybody an assignment and you might have a stellar, you know, uh, outcome from one student and the other three really needed help. And it was really a classroom. It was just really a, a mirror of a classroom, um, mm-hmm. you know, who, who's going to succeed and who won't. And, it, and you know, in, in, an, in a TV environment, that's who's going to succeed or who won't. But you try to help everybody. But, you know, and then, then you can see. Um, who your talent is. I remember then you were hired.
0: You were hired <laughs> That's
1: right panel nine. And then the day that you were offered a job somewhere else, we had a deep conversation. I don't know if you remember that. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because I think you realized this was a huge opportunity for you, but it wasn't in television. And you had in your mind always thought, I think, this is where you were going to be, and this is what you were going to do for the rest of your life. And all of a sudden, there was a curveball, and you made the right decision, Nick. I mean, look, look at your life. You know, you are influencing so many people in a way that is—you're building business, you are building a city, you're building, uh, you know, uh, an economy in this area. So. Look at your skill set from journalism and you've applied it.
0: Yeah, you know, we talked about resiliency, uh, adaptability. I mean, I think those are the characteristics that are, are maybe more important in our workforce today than perhaps what their specific resume is. Uh, suggests so i I remember that that conversation quite quite vividly because it was a very pivotal moment, you know, and I think many people have this. they might go to college for a certain profession, they get in it, they learn some great skills, they do some great things, and then they see that new opportunity, but they stop because it's well, this isn't what I've been preparing my life for. I don't think you know you had said I've been romanticizing about this particular job, and now I'm at a position that's pointing me in a different direction. But I, you know, I look back on my own career and changes that I've made and pivots that have been made, and I'm thankful for each one of those turns, each one of those uh, course corrections along the way, because it's made me a better person, right? And I look back and I, I can say I've learned something valuable that I continue to apply in some way, even though my profession, uh, by title or by function, might be might be very different. Um, you know, I, and boy, if anybody wants to uh, learn a lot about just hard work and flexibility and um, just toughness, <laughs> work in journalism, right? It'll give you a good, strong basis for whatever in the world you want to do when you grow up.
1: <laughs> or politics. you know. You I, mean, it's the, it, I mean, somebody said, oh, do you? You, do you get mean emails? I said, not like I did when I was a journalist. <laughs> you know, you still, I mean, that toughened me up. Right. And, and the, the, um, I could never see be prior to throwing my hat in the ring. I, that wasn't even on the radar, you know, to go into the legislature or run for an office that wasn't even there. It, and I think there's part, it's something of what you said, you know, you're kind of, you're taking this risk. You're taking this leap into something and you're thinking, well, okay, I can use this skill set and this skill set, but really it's an unknown. You know, it's an unknown out there. Will I be happy? And you see people who leave journalism and they have maybe a short gig somewhere, and then the next job is something that they hang on to. So there's a little bit of a test out there, there's a little bit of a, you know, getting your bearings and kind of um, acclimating to the situation and um and a leader is a leader nick and you uh you showed leadership skills at a very young age and you know born with a briefcase i think is what i told your mom <laughs> you, know, you were just born with a briefcase and so you know you could t- you can tell who has it and uh, who's born with it and uh is part of their personality some people learn and it's behavioral but a lot of people uh who are successful they've just got that they're risk takers. They're uh, people who transition well. Again, back to the resiliency. They're people who have taken uh, maybe some negative outcomes, and and uh, now they apply what they've learned from that to something else that's uh, befallen them, and they're able to recover quickly from it.
0: Liz, thank you for spending some time. And I, you know, I talked about it earlier. Just our our need to say thanks. Thank you for just what you do for our for our community. Um, as an elected official and in your role in the nonprofit world. Um, and I guess personally for me for the past 20 years, thank you for the influence that you've had on my life and uh, just everything that you, I think we do so many things every day that we don't realize what the long term implications of that is going to be. So let's let that be a challenge to everyone that, that might be listening. Um, the relationships and the people you impact today, uh, you, you just don't know. Uh, what that is going to mean long term to those individuals, so make it meaningful. So. Hey,
1: thanks for the therapy session, Nick. This
0: is <laughs> we probably could have predicted that this was going to happen based on initial emails that we exchanged and some of the some of the uh, conversation we had before we hit the record button today. So always a good time. Thank you, Liz. Thanks, Nick. Great
1: conversation. Thanks.
0: Well, we hope you, our listeners, were able to glean some relevance and maybe even some ideas for your own life, your own work environment, maybe even your own home. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, please stay tuned for additional episodes. Like this podcast or follow this podcast on whatever platform that you are listening on. Our goal is to produce content each month with influential community and business leaders who are willing to allow us to just get a little bit behind the scenes to look at their unique positions of influence through these challenging times. Thanks for listening to this episode of Candid Community Leadership. Wherever you lead, wherever you have influence, aspire for excellence, be real with the people you lead, and let's be candid. We can all do better when we grow together.